Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. But anyways, I haven't even introduced myself. I'm Kim Massengale. I'm Pastor Mel's wife, for those of you who are new. And I welcome, I want to welcome all of you that are guests, maybe for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. Mel is in Ohio preaching for our friends uh, Kyle and Jess Hammond to give them a break this weekend. And so I'm, I'm on. I'm, I'm here to um, present the message tonight, today, I guess. And um, I'm so excited about it. So we've been in this series called Scandalous, and it's been all about the scandalous love that Jesus Christ has shown us. And um, week one, we kicked that off on Easter weekend, and Pastor Mel did a great job of pointing out all the ways that Jesus went against cultural um, norms to love others and to show us love, like radical scandalous love to see us Um, come into relationship with him. And then in week two, we had Michael Francis, the former mob boss, um, come. How many of you got to hear Michael's story? Yeah, crazy, right? Like I still sometimes I'm like, is that really true? Is it really real? Uh, I actually like that Saturday night after I heard his story, went home and watched his documentary on Netflix. And I like dreamt about it for days. Like I even had a dream that one of our college girls who kind of is struggling with knowing what to do in life. I think she's here today. She is. Um, And I had a dream that she came and told me, Kim, since I don't know what I want to do with my life, I've decided that I'm going to join the mob. And I'm like, Kristen, you can't. That's a terrible idea. You'll never make it. And she wouldn't. (laughs) But I love you. Um, So, anyways, hearing Michael's story, you know, his story is just this radical story of, wow. And, And I think that if we can see, wow, if Jesus can forgive someone like Michael, he can love me too. If Jesus can forgive someone like me, He can love anyone. And so if you didn't get to hear his story, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, Week three was our baptism. So last week, man, wasn't that a great service for those of y'all who were here? Um, I just love, like there's nothing that I love more than seeing stories from within our church of people's lives who have been changed. And um, I'm just so excited about what God is doing and that we get to be a part of seeing people's lives changed here. It's incredible. And so today we're going to talk about how we live out the same scandalous love to our world that Christ showed us. And can I just say that Jesus never requires anything of us that he hasn't already lived out personally. Like he doesn't tell us, hey, you go do this um, if he hasn't already done it. He always shows us the way. And I'm so thankful for that. Jesus loved scandalously. Mel talked about it in the first, first week and really all throughout the series that Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And it says that in Matthew eleven nineteen and Luke seven thirty four. In John 4, with the woman at the well, we see that he crossed not only racial boundaries, but he crossed gender boundaries to reach her. And Mel's going to be talking more about her next week, so I'm not going to talk a lot about her, but Jesus was willing to go the extra mile. He was willing to to cross boundaries that no one else was willing to cross because he loves people so much. 
And Jesus, you know, a lot of times we think that we, we come into relationship with him because we're bad and his mission is just to make us good, right? His message, mission is just to clean us up so that we can be um, good on the outside. But Jesus never came to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Because before Jesus Christ, we were all dead, And it says it in scripture, we were all dead in our transgressions. We were all dead in our sin. And when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we are made a new creation. We come to life. And in John 8, 2 through 11, um, I want to talk about a woman who who needed the love of Jesus. And uh, I'm going to read the passage and then I'll talk about it a little, but it's in John 8, 2 through 11. And it says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But then when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. You know, one thing I think we have to realize from this story is apart from Jesus, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And it doesn't matter what your story looks like. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church your entire life and didn't do any of the bad sins, right? The things that we categorize as bad, because Jesus doesn't categorize sins. All sin is sin to him, right? So maybe you're someone who you say, oh, well, I don't have Pastor Ricky's testimony. I don't have Michael Francis's story. I don't have this woman's story, But you all, we are all sinners. None of us are perfect. We were all in need of a savior. And apart from him, we need grace. And so here's this woman who the religious leaders were testing Jesus, which they constantly did, right? They were constantly trying to catch him in the act. And, um, And so they actually catch, it says they catch this woman in the act of adultery. And they bring her out and say, Jesus, the law says we have to stone her. What do you say? And he says, and he begins to write in the ground. And there's a lot of, lot of um, just not conflict, but just conversation about what he could possibly have been writing in the ground. He could have been writing their sins in the ground. He could have been writing the law in the ground. There's a lot of things that scripture doesn't say implicitly what it is. But he says, those of you without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, they begin to walk away because they know in their hearts, they're not perfect. So how could they possibly throw a stone at her? And then I love what Jesus does. Woman, where are your accusers? 
I don't condemn you. And then what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. Go and live a worthy life. Go and live the life that I've called you to live. He doesn't say, continue on with your life, right? He shows love and then he says, go and sin no more. Go and live like you are loved. I think for us it's really hard sometimes when we have people in our life or people around us that are just in the midst of blatant sin to want to call them out on it, right? And I know for me, I haven't been perfect at this. I will be the first to say I have done this poorly at times, especially with those closest to me, especially when I was a newer believer, <laughs> you know, but at but there were times that I would be so afraid of someone, I, not afraid of them, but afraid of what they were doing, you know, that it was going to end in destruction and I would just kind of lash out at them, like beat them over the head with the Bible. Not really, but, you know, but just like, I'm so scared. You're making all these bad choices. You're going to go to hell, right? And, and that wasn't, I wasn't loving in that, I was just being harsh and judgmental. And when I'm able to take a step back and see the, the love that Jesus Christ lavished upon me, it says in his word that his kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's our kindness that leads other people to repentance, y'all. It's our love. He says, you will know that you are my disciples by showing love to one another. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, he died for all of us. Loved people love people. And in John 15, 12, it says, so this is my command, love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, the reason the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves is because we can't love scandalously until we love Jesus with all our heart, soul, and minds. It is impossible for us to extend other people the love and the grace that we need to until we are pursuing Jesus and we are understanding that he deserves our love and that he lavishes his love on us. That's when we know who we are. When we are rested in knowing that we are extravagantly and scandalously loved by him, we are then able to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus showed the ultimate display of love by taking the punishment of our sin, the thing that no one else could do, he did for us. He took the wrath of our sin and died on the cross for us for every single one of us, no matter what we've done. You know, I think sometimes it can be easy to think, well, Kim, ministry is really just for pastors. Like, it's really just for you guys that are on staff at a church and, or maybe doing a campus ministry, but the rest of us, we just get to come in and listen to a nice message, and then we get to leave and feel good about ourselves. Um, I heard a statistic this last week 
that said um, that they've, they've done a large poll, the Barna poll, and um, they've realized that 75% of Christians worldwide don't know what the Great Commission is. And the Great Commission is go and preach the gospel into all the world. And um, man, that breaks my heart. And I'm like, how is that possible? That 75% of Christians don't know what the Great Commission is. You guys, we all have a ministry. We are God's plan to further the gospel on this earth. There is no other plan. And sometimes I'm like, God, are you sure? Like, we're all pretty messed up. <laughs> like, you're really going to rely on us to spread your gospel? But he does. He chooses you and me. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now this doesn't say and gave pastors the ministry of reconciliation and gave evangelists the ministry of reconciliation. It says us. Every single one of you who call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, he gave you the ministry of reconciliation and he is entrusting it to you. He's entrusting it to me. He reconciled us to him and there's nothing that we could have done to reconcile ourselves to God. Nothing. There's no amount of work we can do to reconcile ourselves to him, right? There's, there's no checklist that he has for us to reconcile ourselves to him. He did it by dying on the cross for us. And reconcile means to change, exchange, change from enmity to friendship, to return to favor with, to reconcile those who are at variance with God. It can also mean reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. It is our job to be reconciling others to Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We do it through showing the same love that Jesus showed us. Billy Graham says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's God's job to judge, and it's my job to love. And I will be honest and say there have been many times that I've tried to play the Holy Spirit in people's lives, where I've tried to be the one that convicts them. There's many times I've tried to be God's God in people's lives and judged them. But once I understand how radically I've been loved, I realize that it's my only job to love. You know, um, I know many of you don't know my story. I shared it in February at our women's event, and so I would highly encourage you to go back and watch it to get to know me and my heart. So I tell it in lengthy detail there. But just in a nutshell, at the age of 17, I was raised in church my whole life, but I was in an unhealthy, ungodly relationship, had the call of ministry on my life. I found out I was pregnant. I was terrified. I chose to have an abortion at the age of 17. Broke up with the boyfriend, kind of cast a fleece before God and said, God, if you don't let me feel anything, I, I'll live for you all my days. Went off to Bible college that fall. No one knew. Acting like I had it all together. 
shoved it under the rug. No one will ever find out. And I began to feel all the things, and post-abortion syndrome is a real thing. I began to struggle with depression and just really battle shame. And, um, man, the enemy would just come at me, and he'd be like, Kim, you're in Bible college. Like, you're not at a secular school where they're going to give you grace, maybe cheer you on. Like, like, they might throw things at you. Like, I know that sounds funny, but that's really what I thought. Like, they're going to bring you out before everyone and, and make you share what you've done. And that's what the enemy just kept bombarding me with. But I knew that I needed to heal. I knew that, I, I knew that Jesus had forgiven me, but I wasn't so sure that Christians would. And how terrible is that? That I was sure that Jesus had forgiven me, but I wasn't sure that Christians would. And if I didn't think they would forgive me, then I couldn't forgive myself, right? But I, but I got to the point where I really pursued healing, and I, I did a Bible study for women who have gone through that, and did it with someone I didn't even know over the internet, and really began to heal, and I knew I needed to tell someone because I felt like God was going to use me somehow with bringing, bringing hope and healing to other women, even though I'd never heard another woman's story. And when I began to share with a few trusted people, they showed me scandalous love. The same classmates that were in class with me that were pursuing ministry and then I began to share with my professors, and they showed me that scandalous love. And can I just say that the only reason I was able to heal, the only reason I was able to forgive myself is because Christians in flesh and blood showed me love. I was able to, to find freedom because they came around me and they supported me and were there the first time I shared my story. And now I can't sit idly by. It's my mission in life to declare to women and to men that you are loved no matter what you have done. You have never sinned too great for God to forgive you. He desires a relationship with you. And I will love at the cost of being ridiculed. I will love others that may feel so unloved. And you guys, we ha you all have to do the same. You all have to do the same. This is a mandate that we have to live by. We are called to love everyone. And in Luke 10, 25 through 37, we see this. Um, a lawyer comes to Jesus and, of course, is wanting to put him to the test, is wanting to catch him, you know, and... He says, Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have, correctly, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So then the, uh, the lawyer um, is trying to justify himself, and he's like, okay, Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Like, who am I really supposed to love? Like, the people that I'm comfortable with? 
like the people that I actually like, my girlfriend that I think is cute, like who am I actually supposed to love? Like who is my neighbor, Jesus? And so Jesus tells him a parable, which Jesus always did. He talked in a way that people would understand it. And so he tells him the story of how this Samaritan, or how this man, this Jewish man, got beaten up by robbers. He was stripped, and he was basically left for dead. He was barely alive, just laying on the street. And a priest comes by and is walking down the street, and the priest sees him and is walking down the same path, but he crosses the street and ignores him. And so then the Levite comes next, and a Levite is someone who was a priest's assistant. And so he's walking down the same path, sees this man who is dying, ignores him, and walks the other way. And then this Samaritan man approaches, and it says it was because of his great compassion that he went over to him. Now let me tell you, Samaritans and Jews were very much at odds with each other. They did not like each other. Jews really looked down upon Samaritans. And they really had some major racial issues, right? They were really at odds with one another. Jews looked at Samaritans as less than humans. And so a a Jewish man would have never helped a Samaritan man, and vice versa. But this Samaritan man sees this Jewish man dying, and he was moved with compassion, and he goes over to him. He cleans his wounds. He bandages him up. He puts him on his own animal, rides him to an inn, gives him a safe place to stay, pays for him to stay there. And then the the attorney says, which of these three do you think, or Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So let me talk about the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan real quick. The priest, I believe, maybe saw this man lying in the street and he just thought, oh, well, they don't go to my synagogue, you know. So they're not my problem. I'm just going to keep on walking. So the priest had this mindset of it's not my problem. The Levite, who was the priest's assistant, a temple assistant, probably thought, I'm not capable. I don't have the title. You know, this really isn't my job because I, I, I'm not qualified. And so the Samaritan comes up and he says, I know the answer. I know the answer. And Jesus is the perfect example of a good Samaritan. Like Jesus is the one who when other people will overlook you, will step into your mess and he will let you know that you are extravagantly loved and he will clean you up and he will bandage your wounds and he will bring you into a healing place. And so I want to ask you today, which one of these three are you? And let me make it practical. Let's say it's a Muslim that you see who's wounded and needs your help. Are you going to be the priest and the Levite that walk on by? 
Or are you going to be the good Samaritan? Maybe it's someone of another race. And maybe racism is something that has been a generational thing in your family. Are you going to be the one to walk them by to say, it's not my problem or I'm not qualified? Or are you going to be the good Samaritan and go bandage their wounds and help them? Jesus is very clear here. He says, you go and do likewise. You be the good Samaritan. He doesn't say, if you've been a Christian for five years, then go be a good Samaritan. He doesn't say, if you've checked all the boxes, like if you've read your Bible today, if you've read the whole Bible today, if you've been nice to someone else today, then go be a good Samaritan. And I think that's what a lot of times we do in our head. Like we think, uh, I, but, I, but who am I? But you guys, we're his plan. We are his plan to show love to our world. You know, um, there's a lot of people in our church that you guys are loving well. And, and if I sat down with you and could hear your stories, and I know it's not something we like brag about, about the, and that's not the heart of God anyways, to brag about the good deeds that we're doing for others. But I do know some of your stories. You know, uh, a few weeks ago I was helping start a women's ministry in Katanning and spoke at their event and... Um, one of our ladies was there and she had two ladies there with her and they came up to me and they said, it's because of her that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They were co-workers of hers. And I'm like, she gets it. She's loving people well. And then, um, you know, we send teams all over the world on trips, on mission trips, not just on vacation. That would be cool too, but... <laughs> And the reason is, is because we believe in the Great Commission. We believe that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But more importantly, when we go, our desire, Steph McCoy's desires, our missions director, is that when you go, it will expand your heart for all people. It will expand your heart to come back here and make a difference. And so sometimes you can go on a trip like that and Maybe you go to Haiti or a third world country and, you know, you feel real good about yourself because you're taking pictures. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but this is what I see sometimes. You take pictures with little Haitian children. And man, you live that out well while you're there. But then something happens when you step back on American soil and you forget that maybe there's a child next door to you that needs you to show them some love, to show their family love. So for some reason, the Great Commission terminates when we step back on American soil. And our heart and our hope is that when you go on a trip with us, you're going to come back and you are going to be compelled to show the love of Jesus Christ to our community. And two years ago when we went to Greece, um, we, Tony Sebastian, who is doing the, the Q&A next Sunday, which please come to that. It's going to be so eye-opening and so helpful for you. Um, but he took us into a mosque. And um, he sat us all down and basically taught us how to love Muslims. And he basically said to us, why is it that 
Americans are, are good with sending missionaries across the country to be missionaries and go live maybe the Iraqis and the, or the Saudi Arabians or the Egyptians. But the minute God sends Muslims on our soil, the minute he sends international students to IUP and they build a mosque down the street from us, the Great Commission terminates. And we decide, oh, that's somebody else's job. And um, so we decided after that trip, we have to live this out. We have to do something. And there are some people that came back from that trip that are doing something. I mean, they are bringing Muslim close to them. And um, Steph McCoy, um, you know, just because she's our missions director, doesn't, just because we're in ministry, like, doesn't mean that it's easier for us, y'all. Like, I think you think that sometimes, but it's not. We are still human, and we still have fears, and we still have to get out of our comfort zones. And so about six months ago, um, maybe it was longer, I don't know, but Steph, like, really got burdened again, like, God, I came back from Greece, and I'm not, I'm not reaching out to that culture like I knew that I should. And so she was standing out behind the church, and she said, God, show me who I'm supposed to love. Like, put some Muslims in my path that I can love. And this is no joke. She literally turns around, and in our, on our playground, back behind the church, are two Muslim moms and their kids playing. Now, sometimes I think we pray a prayer like that, like, God, help me to know who to love today. Help me to show in my workplace or students at my school who I'm supposed to be kind to. And then God shows us, like we're surrounded by people, but <laughs> we're like, oh, just kidding. Like, I didn't really mean it, God. Like, that person knows I'm good. That's somebody, like, how many of you have done that? Yeah. It's easy, right? So she could have looked back and been like, oh, cool, there's Muslims playing on our playground and totally forgot the prayer that she just prayed. But she didn't. She, probably nerves and all, walked back there and said, hi. Like, how hard is that? Hi. <laughs> I'm Steph, or whatever she said. But they invited her to sit down with them, offered her some coffee. She's been in both of their homes. They've cooked her meals. One's an Egyptian, one's a Saudi Arabian. And I just think, how cool would it be how cool would it be just to be willing to sit down and have a meal with someone else we don't understand? And then we see God begin to convict their hearts. We see God begin to work in their hearts because of love that we have shown them. And then they go back to their own countries and are missionaries to reach the people that they know and love. Like, how cool would that be? Like, y'all are supposed to clap at this point. <laughs> I know it gets overwhelming sometimes because we see all of these needs, right? We see the heroin addiction happening in the United States. We see the broken. We see the needs, y'all, that they're not, like, we're not blinded from those. And we get overwhelmed maybe and think, man, but there's so much. And God's not asking you to do everything. 
He's not asking you to be everything to all people. He's just asking you to do something. Where are you planted? Where are you working right now? Those are the people you're supposed to love. Where are you going to school right now? Those are the people you're supposed to love. Who is your neighbor? Like if I asked about your neighbor and I asked you to tell them, me to tell you their name and what they do for a living, would you be able to tell me that? Would you want me to tell me how many kids they have and what their names are? C.S. Lewis says, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. And basically what C.S. Lewis is saying is, a lot of times we be like, well, I don't really like that person. Like, so how can I love them? Like, I really don't agree with them. So how can I possibly love them? And C.S. Lewis is saying, don't wait until you love them. Like, do it in faith. Like, take an action step and do it in faith. And once you take those steps of faith and love them, then you'll begin to love them. So how do we live this out practically? Who else do we love? In Luke 6.32, it says we are to love those who can give nothing in return. And those are the hardest people to love sometimes, right? Because I think in America, like, we are a selfish culture. I mean, just... The human race, I mean, really. We're all, we want to love people who are going to love us back, right? Because it's all about feeling good about ourselves. Like, I'll love them because they reciprocated, and man, I feel good like I did something nice. But what about the people that you love, but they don't give you anything in return, and you feel kind of cruddy afterwards, Like, Jesus doesn't say, well, stop loving them, right? So we are to love those who can give nothing in return. We are to love those who are different from us. And again, come on April 29th at 2 p.m. But we're to love those who are are different than us that are different racially. We're to love those who are different than us and believe in a different religion. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with them, But it means we still love them because God loves them and desperately wants to see them come into relationship with him. We love those with different political beliefs than us. And that's hard, right? Because those are the people that you like land blast on social media. I like to stay out of those conversations. You love those with different backgrounds, with different stories. You may say, Kim, well, I don't relate to a drug addict because I never was one. But God doesn't say, only love those that you have the same story as. Only love those that you have the same upbringing as. No. He says, love. Love those who have different stories than you. Love those that are poor. Love those that are rich. Love those that have different socioeconomic background than you. Get to know them. Don't judge them. Who is your neighbor? Love your enemies. Gosh, Kim, I was hoping you wouldn't say that one. Like, 
So this isn't just the people that don't reciprocate love to you. These are the people that actually like hate you, right? That have verbalized their dislike for you. Jesus says to love them because he sure loved his enemies. Like again, he's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do. He loved the people that crucified him. I think his heart broke at how hard they were. And he wanted them to know the love that he had for them. We are to love our enemies, and we see this in Matthew 4, 43-48. I'm going to read one more C.S. Lewis quote. It says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that love even if you get hurt. Love like you've never been hurt. Loving other people makes you vulnerable. And we don't like that, right? They're like, oh, but I've, I've experienced people not loving me back. I've experienced people turning their backs on me. And we make the statements like, well, I'm never going to love anyone again. I'm never going to put myself out there again. But, but we have to love because otherwise it's like we're in a, in a coffin sealed up because you know why because we're not living out the purpose that God gave us if you're not loving other people you're missing the mark you're missing the reason why you're alive you're missing the reason why you get to live in this day you are purposed and you know I think so often that we forget that one day One day we will stand before Jesus. And the truth is, he'll either say, depart from me, I never knew you, which I can't imagine. Or he will say, well done. Like, it is my deepest desire that when I stand before him one day, he says, Kim, well done, good and faithful servant. What he's not going to say is, well done, you read your Bible every day, which we need to know the Word of God. But he's not going to list off all of my accomplishments, but he's going to say, did you do what I put you on this earth to do? Did you love like I loved? Are there people in heaven because of you? I don't care if you are five or if you are 95, if you have breath in your lungs and you are breathing and your heart is still beating, you have a purpose and that is to love other people. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know 
We all want that. If everyone will just bow their heads and close their eyes, no one looking around. I realize that there may be some of you in here today that you say, Kim, I can't love because I haven't accepted that love. I haven't accepted the love of Jesus Christ. I haven't asked him into my heart. I haven't asked him to forgive me of my sins and I need to be forgiven first. I need to know and embrace the love that Jesus has for me first. If you are in here today, he loves you and this is your moment. So if you're in here today and you say, Kim, I wanna accept that love so that I can love others, will you just raise your hand? Yes, I see you in the back. say, Kim, yes, I see you up here in the front. All right. Everyone will repeat this prayer after me. Yes, I see you in the balcony. I see you. Everyone will repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you for loving everything about me. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me. Make me a new creation. Jesus, today I choose you so that I can love others. Help me to be a light and make a difference for your kingdom. Today I exchange death for life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just celebrate? Now listen, if you made that decision to ask Jesus into your heart, I just wanna say we want to walk this out with you. We wanna help you on your journey. You can text the word salvation to 555-888 or you can take the card that's in the seat back in front of you or maybe it's behind you and fill that out and put it in the offering boxes before you leave today. But we love you and we we want to be a part of your journey. And maybe you didn't raise your hand but you said that prayer and you meant it. Um, Please feel free to fill out a card as well. I just wanna pray over all of us because I, I know how many of you would say you just need to learn to love better. Like how many of you would raise your hands and say, yeah, all, I mean, so many of us. So let me just pray for us and then we're gonna go back into worship. God, I thank you that you loved us so scandalously. God, help us to see the people that you've placed around us, that you've called us to love. Lord, help us to love the unlovable. Help us to love those that we're uncomfortable with. Help us to walk worthy and to walk this thing out. God, help us to see people come to you because of our love for one another. God, help us to be bold. Help us to not be bound by fear. God, help us to make a difference for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love you all very, very much. Um, We're gonna go back into one more song. And the prayer team's gonna be on either side of the stage. I would encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, go and pray with them. Um, But I love you all. Stick around after worship for one. We have a ministry partner video that I would really love for you to hear. 
and, uh, and then you'll be dismissed. But I love you guys.